Happy New Year from the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mac, North America's favorite bi-coastal and totally queer talk fest is now underway with these two motor mouths. Hello and welcome back to the Happy Hour. It is 2024. It is, and welcome. It's great to be here. It's great to know that we're still alive and that the world is still spinning around the sun. And we've got a whole bunch of stuff planned to to launch this first of our new season. We do. And before we, uh, you know, hop into the news, um, how was your uh, how was your little holiday break there, Johnny Mac? Uh, it was. Uh, I want to say it was relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would actually be a fib, and so um, I will just tell you that I stayed busy uh, the whole time we were away. But I did get an opportunity to go and spend some time with friends and family uh, out of state for a few days, and for the most part, I enjoyed having the time to get caught up on some things and to break other things, <laughs> <laughs> like our website. Oh dear! Oh yeah. no! Yes. Let For me those of let, you who... let me come clean first. Uh, so we had a minor disaster happen on New Year's Eve. Uh, we were getting ready to deploy new website stuff, and the tools that we use in order to handle all the content management died. They died and they went away permanently thanks to Adobe Systems, whose software I've been using for several years, and they had abandoned the platform about, uh, I think, about uh, four years ago. And they announced six years ago that they were going to abandon that particular platform. And I just kept being lazy and didn't make transitions, had been planning to take us into the WordPress environment, and that is where we're going. But it's going to take two to three more weeks for us to get everything because there's multiple sites caught up with it. So my apologies. What I did manage to somehow eke out was creating a web page at gayvc.com and gayvchappyhour.com that enables people to click on our live stream channel so you can still get uh, get it there or also follow the instructions for how to get access to the podcasts and to... Uh, the live show if you're using like an Amazon smart speaker like Alexa. So we're still up and running, but it looks pretty uh, ancient right now in terms of yeah, our presence has, on the web. it has kind of a little bit of like a GeoCities vibe to yeah, it. Thank yeah. you. Thanks. Thanks, Richie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, better than nothing. No, but uh, but yeah, no. So uh, so yeah, I had a good a good little break. Um, and did you the just classic. started a new job. I did. I just started a new job and then immediately went into a a long uh, little uh, holiday vacation. So just getting back to that this week. But before that, had a lovely New Year's Day with good friends where we did the classic Southern Black Eyed Peas, Collard Greens, and Cornbread, oh my. Um, which is meant to signify good luck and prosperity. So did that, and um, yeah, then just happy to be back here in the saddle and doing the happy hour. Cool. Although I will say it's a little weird um, that it is 
now January, and we've yet to have a lick of snow up here in New York. Wait, I thought you had some late last year. Didn't you have a dusting or two? The, we had literally like like 10 minutes of of flakes. Like, And I'm not even exaggerating. It was like 10 minutes of flakes uh, came down like once. But there's been no real snow, so it's a little bit weird, um, you know. Uh, of course, climate change isn't real, so it's just, uh, you know, must be just a fluke of nature. Yeah, but. and a figment of your past imagination that it snows there in the in the winter. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and so speaking of, of New Year's, uh, I was not, I wasn't going crazy on New Year's, um, but apparently... The right-wing conservatives got pretty upset because CNN deigned to show at New Year's a same-sex couple kissing. No. Can you believe it? I can't. Well, actually, I can because it's that big homosexual fest with Anderson Cooper and <laughs> Andy Cohen and that Andy happens. Cohen, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know that that veritable, you know, hotbed of straightness, CNN on New Year's Eve. Yeah, I mean, do you remember when Don Lemon got his ear pierced in New Orleans? You know, drunk as a skunk. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, so, but it's it's a whole thing, and of course they're saying that it's inappropriate and that it's groomer behavior and all that bullshit. But um, oh, you know, I can't believe that coming into 2024, the idea that a, a same-sex kiss on TV could be controversial is just ugh, eye rolling. I thought it was just a TV commercial for Planet Fitness. <laughs> oh, because they hand out all that free stuff, right? Yeah, they had all those the little... um, Planet Fitness top hats that had right. around the bills that had like um, garland. You know, one of the things that actually Planet Fitness that drives me crazy is that they call them they call it judgment free zone. Yeah, which is fine. But they spelled judgment with an E in the middle. <laughs> and we just don't spell it that way here. No. I just don't know why. I don't know why they do that. It drives me crazy. Um, it's just I don't get it. But anyway, <laughs> that's just my particular peccadillo. I know. I'm Planet kind of Fitness. a spelling and, and grammar Nazi myself. So I understand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that, that does drive me up the wall a little bit. Um, but let's see. So, you know, we're coming out of a, we're coming into 2024. You know, I think we've got all of us maybe have some resolutions or some hopes and goals. Um, I know I certainly do. Um, and in the same time, it's really nice to leave some 2023 in the rear view mirror. Um, you know, one of the things that we had talked about all last year is the drumbeat of anti-LGBTQ legislation that was just a wash in 2023. Yeah. Can I, by the way, uh, mention apparently um, other broadcast networks, according to the story, did cut away to CNN's coverage of Times Square and also happened to broadcast that kiss on their, on their outlets as well. It was not just limited to CNN. <laughs> wow. It the was kiss, the kiss to be around the world. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, supposedly um, it was also featured on Fox News and CBS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Rupert and That's his family amazing. were probably having a heart attack. 
That's so funny. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. And it does, I guess it does in in certain worlds, it just pierces a veil, you know, because they're, you know, Fox News, you know, creates this world in where gay people don't really exist. Yeah. I mean, kind of like I think about this sometimes because I listen to this, you know, we've talked about this before. I listen to the country station um, on the, in the mornings. Right. And they have this morning show and I've listened to it now for probably four, four or five years. And they have callers who call in. They have people who write in. Not once have they, has anyone gay or LGBTQ or anything called in or been allowed to call in, been featured in, you know, an email? It's just, it's crazy. Like, really? And it's just, just statistically sort of seems impossible that there are no gay people that listen to this show. Well, yeah. And especially it's a country station, right? So uh, yeah. I know that when I was at Sirius Satellite Radio, before we launched OutQ, we did a substantial research project with the folks at Harris Interactive. And we wanted to know more about our our potential audience's tastes in a number of things, including their tastes in music. And especially being that we were with a satellite radio company that had, you know, a hundred channels of music. So when we did that polling, we found out that actually the second most popular format of music among LGBTQ people was, in fact, country and Western. So yeah. I don't buy that for a minute. I, I mean, I, I do buy the fact that they haven't featured that out of their own ignorance. But, yeah, it's that that's bizarre. It's actually shocking to me, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and, and I think it's, it is sort of, I mean, you know, if you get, if you, get a, you know, a bunch of gays talking... Um, we've you know we've talked about this before in, in Twitter spaces. Um, things that come up, things that that gays surprisingly know a lot about are cars and country. Right. Um, and and you're right. I mean that actually, um, sort of a sort of statistically anomalous number of gay folk are actually pretty knowledgeable about country music, which is be interesting because it's not necessarily a genre that is um you know that seems to be that welcoming but well in uh, that same re- research richie i can tell you that dance music which most people try and associate as being like the format of most lgbt uh, people um that it actually was a ways down the list rock and roll hmm. was actually number one country was number two and and you know, there were other formats that came in ahead of dance music. And I think that in part, that's because in a lot of markets for a long time, dance music stations are not common. Right. I mean, there are stations that are now urban contemporary, uh, contemporary hit radio, CHR top 40, that play stuff that is very dancey in today's clubs but not really traditional dance music like a Z100 in New York or, you know, uh, KNHC in Seattle or, you know, other stations like that that are truly dedicated to playing dance music. I mean, another thing is, is if you, I mean, like, I could be speaking out of turn, but, you know, dance music to me, like, it's not very person. It's not as personality driven. I mean, to me, it's background music while you're doing something else. Right. Like you know, yep. 
dancing or doing <laughs> drugs or, you know, getting blown or whatever. Like, it's not, you're not <laughs> like, oh, like, oh, this is my favorite dance artist so-and-so. Right. And most um, people, and I think, who really are into dance music uh, have been listening for a long time to it on CDs and, you know, uh, other, you know, on vinyl before that. But definitely on CDs, not looking really to the radio and listening to it as they're commuting. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, it always, it actually always caught, makes me have a, a moment of pause when I hop into an Uber and they're listening to like intense techno music. Right. Because I'm like, I don't know if this person's going to be the safest driver. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that's interesting stuff, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think coming into 2024, I know, um, you know, I'm looking forward to continuing this show. We've also got a new show on the horizon, uh, Torque, which is our car talk show. Yep. Uh, we'll tell you more about is... that soon. I hope we have Todd back with us uh, very soon. Um, but I, I wanted to slide in here because I know we also wanted to mention that in this right off the top of the show is we're starting a brand new year that last year there was a shocking, record-breaking 510 anti-LGBTQ bills that were introduced in state legislatures across the United States. And this is important to pay attention to because what? We're in an election year this year. And these things are going to matter, and they're going to matter all the way down to those little silly offices like being on a school board. So you've got to pay attention this year nearly tripled the number of the previous year, according to data from the American Civil Liberties Union. And these bills targeted areas such as education and healthcare, with a particular uh, focus on banning gender-affirming healthcare for transgender youth and regulating curriculum in public schools. And gender-affirming care is recognized as medically necessary and evidence-based but the bills sought to restrict access to that care. It's just, it's atrocious that we, that we looked at over 500 pieces of legislation in states across the country. Well, you know, it makes sense. It makes sense because the kids know what's up. The kids are, by and large, they, the ship has sailed. The, you know, they they have friends who are trans. They have friends who are non-binary. They they have parents who are queer. You know, they 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 are they've grown up in a world where LGBTQ existence is normalized and normal and celebrated. And so, you know, this kind of last gasp, you know, reactionary revanchist sort of thing is to try to use the levers of power to to you know make to try to to wrest control of of you know the youth from a world that has basically like left that conservative right-wing mindset behind yeah. they're they're not like and, and so they're they're trying they're trying everything they can but they've lost that battle and i think that the kids are not going to have it well, by the end of the year, 84 of those bills were signed into law in 23 states, Tennessee and North Dakota passing the most bills themselves. Uh, many of the bills are now being challenged in court by the ACLU. And we do have a, a couple of contacts at the ACLU who we've been speaking with. And uh, my hope is, is that sometime in the next month or so, we're going to have 
one of those uh, attorneys able to talk with us uh, about what is going on there. The scale and the ex, uh, you know, the extremity of these attacks on LGBTQ rights have been increasing in recent years, and the, the trend shows no signs of slowing down because, you know, once again, we're in this culture war that is, you know, so out of touch with reality, but so based, as you'll see in other stories that we talk about tonight, uh, you know, in GOP politics. It's it's really based in GOP. I mean, it's based in GOP politics. It's based in, again, it's the wedge issue. And the thing is, they're trying to, they're trying to find... And, you know, the, spe- specifically with trans rights and trans issues, they're trying to find a wedge issue to divide up, you know, and, and there's, they've, they've actually had some success because there's this LGB movement, LGB without the T. Yeah. And so you do see that, that there these efforts do have some traction, which we have to fight against. But at the end of the day, you know, um, they are they're tilting at windmills because you know the the youth and younger generations are already kind of just on board with the project so. we're going to get into a little more of that as we continue with the gbc happy hour on this edition thank you for being with us originally being recorded on january the 4th of 2024 uh, as we continue with the show we'll get into talking about uh about a new rule designed to protect LGBTQ foster kids and how that is drawing GOP opposition. Stay with us. I'm Johnny Mack. I'm Richie Roy. You're listening to the happy hour with your hosts Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Happy New Year, everyone! Happy New Year to you too. Sorry, I had your mic cut for a second there, but we oh, did get no the whole worries. Happy New Year. Yeah, so welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, glad to have you with us. Um, and uh, and yeah, uh, so. To, sort of to continue on the topic that we were talking about before, um, there is uh, some GOP opposition to a new rule that came out. Um, and the new rule, this came out to protect LGBTQ children. Um, and it requires child welfare agencies to place LGBTQ youth in environments free of hostility, mistreatment, or abuse based on the child's sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression. And this came from the United States Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. Yeah. Right. And, you know, obviously is meant to to prevent the immiseration of, of queer youth, you know, who are stuck in the foster care system. And, you know, when you look at kind of um, the LGBTQ youth, um, they are statistically overrepresented in the child welfare system. Um, you know, they are more than twice as likely to experience foster care placement. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's a situation where there are a lot of queer kids who are in that system. And, you know, if, if this rule weren't in place, could be placed with a, you know, a family that would, that, you know, would be sort of for religious or other reasons 
opposed to their very existence. Yeah, one of the, one of the bills the Republicans have uh, tried to push through here uh, prevents foster and adoptive families from being required to affirm a transgender child's gender identity, while another bill would prevent government agencies for uh, from penalizing child welfare service providers that oppose affirming a child's gender identity or sexual orientation. And we know that that's kind of the beginning where the fuse gets lit and sending a kid, sadly, towards doing something that will cause self-harm or worse. Absolutely. And, you know, this kind of all dovetails with stuff that we've talked about before, like um, challenges to bans on conversion therapy. Yeah. You know, you have these foster parents who don't believe in, you know, who are, who are anti-gay, anti-queer, um, don't believe in the existence of trans people who believe in things like conversion therapy and, you know, and religious sort of solutions to a non-problem, which is the identity of, of children being queer. And yeah, so this rule is a very, you know, sort of makes a lot of sense. Obviously, um, there's going to be a lot of GOP blowback from this. And, you know, as it is, there are certain agencies that that just bring out the opprobrium of the right to begin with. Health and Human Services is a classic, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, target of the right. They hate HHS. Yeah. They've always hated HHS. And so this rule coming out of HHS is going to just inflame them. Um, the proposed and- rule has also faced criticism for not going far enough in ensuring that all providers are safe and appropriate placements for LGBTQ children. So... Yeah, I mean that that I you know I saw that in the article. I mean, yeah, everyone's going to have a problem with everything, but yeah. realistically, the people who actually have a problem with this are the right. It's right. not the left. I mean, yeah, maybe there's some some you know extreme extreme folks on the left who are upset at the. At, but the thing is, this is this is going to you know it's a rule that's that's in a proposed rule stance, and so it's gonna it's in a public comment period as it is. So. Um, you know, it's going to receive tons and tons of input. It's probably going to end up getting watered down. It's probably going to end up even just not even existing. And if it does, if it does go to a final rule status, it'll be immediately challenged in the courts and it will end up at the Supreme Court. Maybe. You can guarantee that. I, I don't have a doubt that they'll try and get it there, but I'm starting to wonder. I mean, the court can only accept so many cases. I mean that's true, but if it if it has the opportunity to, to grab a, a a case that has a religious freedom component to it that has to do with gay rights, also they will cherry pick that one. Uh, of course, I mean that has all the hallmarks of something that they would love to rule on. Let me ask you something: with all the stuff that's happened in this past year and the stuff that's continuing to go on with the Supreme Court and the focus that's been placed on them and the criticism uh, with with their shenanigans with regards to ethics and, you know, whether or not they've been paying taxes on the gifts and all that kind of stuff. Um, Don't you think, I think, even though I think Roberts is still uh, far to the right, uh, I almost kind of wonder if, if his concern about what they have done and the exposure that it has drawn in this past year is not making him, uh, 
soften a little bit towards you know not drawing too much more attention by uh, probably having uh, some strong arming influence in deciding what cases they're going to decide. I mean, it's I I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, it is it's a six three court right now, and you know I think that you know he has a you know as this as the chief justice he does have certain amounts of control, but in terms of hearing cases and stuff, I mean I think that. Um, he might try to moderate, you know, if it's on the edges, he might side with the liberals in terms of not hearing certain cases, but, um, his power is a little bit limited there. Um, and you know, uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I think you're right. He, he wants the court because the thing is the chief justice is usually is the person who kind of is the buck stops here in terms of the court's legitimacy. Right. And this court's legitimacy is sort of at an all time low. Right. And that's really, I mean, his fault, to be honest. Um, you know, he has presided over a court that that is uh, that is, you know, baldly partisan, you know, unethical in many ways. And uh, yeah. And so, beholden to one man and one organization. Right. Yeah. Well, we're going to continue with more of our first 2024 edition of the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. And still to come, we're going to talk again about judges and one who has uh, blocked key parts of an Iowa book ban. We'll get into that next. Thanks for being with us. And our phone number, if you want to join in the conversation, is 760-677-0111. 0111 From gbc.com this is the happy hour with your hosts Richie Roy and Johnny Mac your source for conversation current events culture and all things LGBTQ. Welcome back, everyone. Glad to have you with us for the happy hour. And um, just leading into this segment, I will put the number out there again. In 2024, our resolution for the show is to have people call in more often. So that phone number is 760-677-0111. That's right. We're, not, we're not having... Uh, resolutions for ourselves we're having resolutions for our listeners exactly yeah we're foisting we're foisting them on you we're bestowing them on you yeah yeah um but yeah please do call in um we love to hear what you have to think about what we are talking about uh but yes so to go back to our favorite um, sport uh which is beating up on uh floridians who are republican so uh, so there was a, um, a couple things actually, both are book ban related because, you know, as, as we talked about last year, constantly book bans are one of these, uh, ways in which Republicans and conservatives are trying to infiltrate or, you know, make their presence known in schools because yeah. it's, it's book bans that, you know, for schools and children's books and teen books, mainly about LGBTQ issues, but also actually books about blackness, 
books about people of color, basically books that just anything talk about- where there's any um, potential for Caucasian shame over mm-hmm. past historical behavior. Exactly. Um, so, you know, these books are all on the chopping block. But, um, you yep. know, there's recently a, a decision in Iowa. A federal judge blocked uh, parts of an Iowa law that banned books from school libraries and forbade teachers from, from talking about LGBTQ issues. And the judge's um, injunction basically said that that the ban was so incredibly broad um and, you know, and would even result in the removal of books like history books, classics, award-winning novels, books designed to help students avoid being victimized by sexual assault. Um, and just basically made the point that it was that the that the way it was drafted was so wildly overbroad that it was completely, you know, beyond the pale. And um, you know, to go back to the point that you made earlier, um, uh, Johnny, it's, you know, it's an election year. Um, elections matter a lot because a lot of, for whatever, you know, for good or for bad, um, the way that our sort of our system of government works is a lot of stuff does get worked out in the courts. And the courts are configured and constituent, you know, uh, constituted by federal judges who are lifetime appointments, and they're appointed by the president. And so when you have the president matters a lot, I mean, you know, for many reasons, but the courts actually matter a ton. And, you know, and so and the thing is, Republicans have known this for a long time. I mean, they I think they held their nose with Trump. I think a lot of hardcore Republicans held their nose, dealt with Trump's vicissitudes, his idiocy, his, you know, his autocracy, because at the end of the day, you know, people like, um, uh, you know, like the Federalist Society, they got the courts. That's what they wanted, because at the end of the day, it's lifetime. It long exceeds the the tenure of a president or many presidents even. And so they ensconced a bunch of young, highly ideological right wing judges. The way to combat that is to have Democrats in power uh, and, and specifically not only just the presidency, but in the in the legislature because of confirmation so that we can get some Democratic judges in there, because that's where a lot of these decisions actually happen. Yeah. And we saw this past year a perfect example of what happens when the federal legislature may even have a minority or a very slim margin of majority and how they can screw up a whole lot of things. We saw that with regards to the Um, promotions in the Defense Department because of an Alabama senator who is uh, more skilled at coaching football than he is at uh, creating uh, legislation that protects our country. And I think that, you know, with, with what's going on in this past seven years, uh, ever since uh, the former president was in office, uh, and the fact that he was basically the stooge of the Federalist Society for both the 
uh, district courts and the circuit courts and the Supreme Court, uh, we've watched so much devastation when it comes to who's, who's going to be the referee on how things are for generations to come. And, and it's scary. You've got to be involved, and you may not like all of the, all of the candidates, but you have to look at the big picture, not just... I mean, it's important to look at the micro as well as the macro, but you have to look at all of it and understand that, you know, what is the strategy here to have... basically to have one side be able to clean up a bunch of these messes. And, and we are definitely in need of doing that over the next probably four to ten years. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really... It's scary um, to think of what could happen in less than a year from now. Uh, should the GOP succeed with any, not just with Donald Trump, but with any of the candidates who are vying to be the president of the United States... We could be looking at, because they're all in lockstep, I think they're afraid not to be uh, in lockstep with one another, uh, even those who have supposedly felt like it's gone too far, they still support the actions of the crazies. And we are looking at the prospect that this could be the last time in America for some time to come that you will get to vote and decide who your president is. Right. I mean, I mean, while that's true, I also I think I think that that there's a that is true. That is true. I think it also can come across sometimes as overheated because Democrats can sometimes sound like chicken littles. And I think that I think the real thing is just to is to just say there is an actual choice. Do you want to live in? Do you want to be governed by theocratic nihilists or do you want to be governed by people that are rational thinkers who believe in even this system of government that we have? Because ultimately at the end of the day, the current Republican Party as constituted doesn't believe in our, our sort of anti-government they don't believe in this in the in the concept itself and so do you want uh do you want to be governed by people who want to tear down every institution or do you want people to try to you know make these institutions better it's just i don't know it it is an alarming situation but i also just sometimes i you know i get these emails and these text messages from the democratic sort of fundraising machine and they turn me off and i just i what i don't want is for people to be turned off you know early on by the messaging that the democrats are doing yeah. because i get that i get that stuff in my mail you know i'm hey it's james carville here you know uh, it's always James Carville, by the way. James Carville here, you know, gee willikers, can you believe that we might, you know, fall into the handmaid's tale? And I'm like, girl, this isn't working. Like, come on, like, be serious. Like, I don't know. I just the messaging to me right now is not is not optimal. And I don't know what to do about it. But I think the Democratic messaging is off right now. As do I. I I'm also frustrated by 
the amount of political solicitations that I get uh, day in and day out in email, and it fortunately has not shown up in my mailbox yet with the snail mail, but it will. It's coming. This is a big year, and we're going to see that for who knows how much uh, issues in terms of, uh, you know, bills that are going to be out in uh, state legislatures or in uh, regards to local, you know, city and county things. And on top of that, of course, all of these big races. And I'm I'm just so overwhelmed by it all that I wish we had a system like I think in I'm I'm not absolutely certain about this, but I'm pretty sure that in Britain and in Australia and other places they have a season where they're only allowed to campaign for like six weeks or three months or something like that for major elections. Otherwise, they cannot be out on the campaign trails and doing all this stuff because, you know, this year's election uh, activity really began in 2016 and 2020, you know? Right. And I'm just like, it never stops. It's just been one ongoing machine. Well, there's, there's, I have two things to say about that. One is, is that there, there's uh, a structural problem that has to do with the fact that the, that, that the house is two years. So you get people in there who immediately have to flip around and start campaigning. Yeah. Second of all, you have a Supreme Court um, that the conservatives on the Supreme Court have for many years chipped away at any attempts and, and have really put in place very strong case law um, against any types of even rational, moderate attempts at campaign finance reform, at campaigning reform, and they've made the, they've made it very clear that money is speech, and that you know, with Citizens United and everything after that, that there's no. There's no, you know, sort of at least under this their interpretation, no constitutional way to put any kind of fetters, guidelines, guideposts, rulings, any kind of regulations pretty much on on campaigning. And, you know, we do have, you know, whatever the Federal Election you know Commission that has some teeth to it. But really, you know, you see uh, viol- huge violations of of federal, you know, election laws. Um, mainly on the right, to be honest. And what happens? Slaps on the wrist, nothing. It's it's toothless. And that's because we've gotten the message loud and clear that, um, you know, constant electioneering, constant money raising, constant being awash with dark money and pack money and all this garbage is not only allowed, but is, you know, constitutionally sacrosanct. Yeah. Back on the uh, banned book side of things, uh, we also mentioned that in addition to the good news with the judge acting in a reasonable way in Iowa, uh, that the firestorm uh, continues in other places, including Florida and other southeastern states. And right now, uh, Republicans in the Sunshine State have uh, have put bans that have resulted in thousands of books being yanked from school libraries around that state. Um, The Duval County Public School System, uh, they have pulled more than 22,000 titles from circulation. That's that's outrageous. 
That is outrageous. You don't want to read it? Don't. Well, this goes back to this, you know, the thing that kind of I was getting at earlier, which is, um, is that Republicans, you know, were all about playing by the rules when the rules were in their favor and when society kind of favored what they were peddling. When society decided like they were like, hmm, we don't like any of that. The rules no longer mattered. And it was actually about just like, you know, rat fucking and, you know, Sun Tzu art of war, just, you know, scorched earth behavior. Yeah. So all this stuff with the book bans is that they know that people want these books. People by and large don't, you know, people are happy that there are books. No one cares that books are on the shelf. Like that, you know, if you don't want it, don't read it. But they can't fathom the idea that there are books out there that show, you know, two gay penguins having a baby penguin. Like, <laughs> give me a break. Right. Well, you know, speaking of firestorms, in Asheville, North Carolina, is Firestorm Books. And they were offered the books from Florida after the governor, DeSantis, uh, put his radical agenda into place. Instead of letting the sun go down on the titles, though, the store has announced plans to ship them to youth in the state of Florida for free. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> the Van Book, uh, the, the Band Books Back Project is going to redistribute 22,500 titles to kids or parents who fill out an encrypted online form, and they can choose uh, picture books for grades 4 through 18, or pardon me, 4 through 8, or chapter books grades 8 through 12, and each shipment is going to include five or six books, stickers, and zines. So good news there. Uh, you know, turning lemons into lemonade. We're going to continue with more of the GBC Happy Hour. I'm Johnny Mack with Richie Roy. Stay with us. Not everyone listening to this show is gay. Nope. Some are lesbians, while others are bi, trans, intersex, queer, questioning, two-spirit. <gasps> Shit, let me catch my breath here. Me? I'm the voice of God. And for the record, your Mr. Announcer Man is straight. Yep, wife, two dogs, white picket fence, and from Jersey. See? Everyone loves Richie and Johnny, even us. After all, it is the Gay BC Happy Hour. Welcome back, everyone, to the GBC Happy Hour, our first episode of 2024. And uh, to give you some more numbers besides 2024, here's a few. 760-677-0111. That's our call-in number. And we'd love to hear what you have to say about anything we've talked about so far. and um, Or if you just want to tell us about how your New Year's was. Um, but... Uh, to continue with our cavalcade of gay news, we've got some good news uh, coming out of some other countries on this planet. Uh, Estonia now has now legalized gay marriage, which is pretty awesome. Um, former so Soviet Socialist Republic that uh, that had previously uh, decriminalized homosexuality back, you know, I think in 1991 or something like that. But as of January 1st, uh, gay marriage is now legal and you can apply and 
go for it, which is really cool. Um, so really glad to see that. You know, we talk on the show about situations like in you know some countries in Africa where things are going backward. It's good to see that things are still progressing in other places. Yeah, places like Egypt or um, Iran, where they could name their country Westonia. <laughs> you know, right, and or push uh, a wall over on you or whatever. Right, yeah. but uh, you know, so, so that's really good. That's really good news um, in Estonia and Thailand. Also, uh, there is an equality, a, a, a marriage equality bill that is set to be discussed in Parliament, um, and that's pretty exciting. Um, you know that they are looking to change the civil and commercial code from the words husband and wife to marriage partners. Yeah. And uh, could really kind of change that landscape, um, at least for marriage. You know, um, you know the article that I was reading about this, which you know uh, came from, uh, I think this is an AP article, was talking about, um, you know, that that this is a really big deal, and it is. But that there is still, um, you know, there there is there's still um, room for growth, um, and that you know people are still in Thailand, kind of coming to terms with gender diversity and um you know there it's not it's not all rosy but that's a huge huge step yeah and i think that to me it makes sense to the bill that is proposed the draft bill has been endorsed by the cabinet there and awaits debate in parliament but you know they there's a significant amount of tourism trade in the lgbtq market to thailand uh, Pattaya and uh, and also Bangkok are huge uh, destinations for gay travelers, and so I'm 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 thinking that like in a lot of places they also see the benefit to them from a economic standpoint that they will benefit from this, and sometimes that's what it takes to to get things like this through. If they do in fact pass that bill. Uh, they will be the third Asian nation um, to do so uh, after Taiwan and Nepal. So let's hope that they do. That would be amazing. Yeah, that'd be really great. And um, yeah, we definitely need some wins. We definitely need some wins, you know, because, uh, you know, looking at 2023, we had a lot of kind of backward movement in the U.S. and just globally. Um, we saw a lot of retrenchment, um, you know, anti-gay bills in the U.S. for sure, as we talked about, but, you know, also in Africa and just kind of generally kind of it seems like there's just kind of um, in sort of broadly politically kind of a souring on even the idea, you know, crazy enough of just gayness. Like we're not, you know, like there's just there's just something in the wind that just feels very kind of. Um, uneasy and so these wins that we that you know that we can get like Estonia and, and hopefully Thailand are really important because we need all the wins that we can get um, yeah and I think also because we have a lot of political figures on the right in this country who like to point to other places around the world that you know these are things that are not in lockstep with you know the international community whereas in fact it's getting to be uh, more the case that it is than that it is not. And we're starting to look 
pretty stupid on our own sometimes when, when we don't, uh, you know, do our best to enforce uh, liberty and justice for all, shall we say. Yeah, and it doesn't even, you know, it really, you know, it's kind of, uh, I think it really shows um, the kind of narrow the kind of narrow focus that um that a certain group of folks have in it really you know goes back to the evangelicals because when you look at you know even the pope is currently kind of saying that that um catholic priests can bless same-sex unions in certain ways um and you have countries like you know spain is traditionally has you know a sort of catholic bent to it uh, you know, Spain is probably one of the most LGBTQ-friendly places on the planet. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, what it really comes down to is this American strain of evangelicalism that is just virulently anti-gay and and seeks to export it. And, you know, when you look at, at, at a lot of the, the anti-gay bills in Africa, they are championed and you know, and astroturfed in Africa by American evangelical, you know, NGOs and organizations. And so um, what you're not seeing is an organic wellspring of, you know, anti-gay sentiment. What you're seeing is something that is actually drummed up by American evangelicals. Yeah, and we saw it just before the end of the year, before we stopped doing the show for the holiday break, we talked about on one of those last shows of 2023, uh, the Pope actually giving the boot to an American archbishop uh, down in Texas, I think it was, who was definitely very uh, virulently anti-gay. And, you know, those are the kinds of cracks in the armor I want to see uh, that send a clear message that, you know, uh, if you're going to do as your presumably as your uh, you know savior uh, walk the earth and, and professed uh, you better get with the program not play this you know unnecessary bias against against people who you are not you know in line with right I mean it's kind of this you know it's the same it's the same shtick as the, you know, as the not my president, you know, yeah. Obama, you know, the member during Obama, people were like, not no my Obama. president, no Obama. It, yeah, no Obama, not my president, you know, with the Pope, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a Catholic. I'm, I'm super Catholic. I'm a Catholic bishop. But, oh, well, you know, the, the you know, literally like the, you know, doctrinally, you know, next in line to, you know, to the man upstairs, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't buy what he's selling. You know, skip it like that. It's just bullshit. Like you know, if you're and, and I, it, I, I'm like you know, I'm not a religious person, and I, I don't really buy any of that. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna go in, you know, wholesale on that, if you're gonna literally be a bishop, you kind of have to figure that you have to work within that line. But you grew and, up and were educated in a Catholic education system right yeah absolutely yeah i was um but you know it's it's just the the ideas american you know they call you know whatever cafeteria catholics but the idea that, that you can not only you know be a cafeteria catholic but you know you can spit in the face of the lunch lady 
I mean, at some point, you know, <laughs> you're going to get booted from the cafeteria. Yeah. And I'm glad to see it, frankly. The only person whose face I've ever spit in was Marjorie Phelps. Oh. <laughs> Fred Phelps' daughter. Yeah. Oh, and, really? Yeah. Happened going into the uh, first ever HRC national dinner at the Washington Hyatt Hotel uh, in Washington, D.C., night that Bill Clinton spoke to the HRC. And uh, and I had turned and looked, and I saw one of their kids holding the sign that said, um, uh, Matthew Shepard in hell, and then another one right next to it that said, AIDS cures fags. And it just it repulsed me so much. I... Um, I turned and looked, and when I did, she looked at me, and she hurled an insult. She just said, sodomite, and I hawked a loogie right in her face and walked into the hotel. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, the Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah. yeah. I mean, talk about nuts. Right. Um, yeah. Cuckoo are for they Cocoa still Puffs. A thing? Yeah, they're still a thing, but, you know, not nearly. We don't hear about them as much now that uh, Fred is uh, roasting in eternity <laughs> all right we're going to continue we have another great hour ahead for you on this first episode of 2024 of the gbc happy hour with richie roy i'm johnny mack stay with us coming up we're going to be talking about colorado's religious preschools teeing up another religious right case for the united states supreme court oh and you remember that uh, ugly hoe who used to work as a clerk in in kentucky who tried to deny a couple the right to get married. <laughs> that was an expensive move. I'll tell you more about it as we talk more after the break. Mutual, mutual, bradla. Mutual, mutual, bradla. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. You know it's going to be a lively year of talk on the Gay BC Happy Hour. A rerun of the 2020 election shenanigans with several indictments to be resolved. At least there are these two not letting any of that MAGA BS fly. Right, fellas? Richie Roy and Johnny Mac. Hello, hello. Right? Welcome back to the second hour of the first happy hour of the year. <laughs> yeah. Coming up, um, as we've always had uh, later in the hour, we're going to get to our recommendations and demerits. We also will take a, a stop by the happy hour bar, and Richie will put on his bartender best, and there he will be mixing up uh, beverages for you, uh, giving you some ideas for a nice libation or two. So stay with Indeed. us. Yeah. Indeed. Yes. Um, yeah. Coming into the new year with some new ideas in that regard. Um, I was actually, uh, it's funny. I was thinking about recommendations and demerits, um, and I was struggling a little bit today. So I came up with some, but, um, I don't know. I think I was just kind of like, uh, I think I really, I, I I got overly exuberant in our last episode of the year, and I think I gave away like two months worth of recommendations. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you, um, I didn't really have a lot 
that I was able to come up with today either. However, there was a uh, topic of a discussion over the holidays in a Twitter space that I'm going to resurrect this evening. And uh, it's not a positive one, but it, it, needs, it needs to become a positive thing. And so we'll try and inspire other people tonight to let others know who run these kinds of businesses what they need to do to get back on the right side of the law. So to speak. Ooh, I'm I'm intrigued. That sounds exciting. You were, um, you were there, so you'll remember it when we get to it. Okay, I, I'm okay. pretty sure of that. I, I, and you might even I, have I, a I, thing I, or two to say about it. Me having a thing to say about something? I, know, I, right? I don't believe it. <laughs> Hard to believe. Um, but so to get back into, I mean, I feel like this episode. I will say, um, just to take a moment, is. Um, I think we're st- we're starting off the year strong. I mean, th- th- we have a lot of gay news to talk about. Like it, it just it, you know, I, I some yeah. We, it is not a slow news week. The news gods were kind to us to start the new year with. That's what I will say. Uh, that may be the the most uh, correct or righteous or or best thing that has happened this year so far for me. Yeah. So the so the thing that we that we sort of were thinking about uh, you know for this this segment is co- these Colorado Catholic preschools are suing uh, are suing because there is a non discrimination clause in an agreement with this that the state so the so the state has you know sort of uh, universal preschool program and part of the universal preschool program is that you have to sign a non-discrimination clause that has to do with, you know, among other things, LGBTQ families. These Catholic parishes that run these preschools, um, St. Mary's in Littleton and St. Bernadette's in Lakewood, uh, sued the state, arguing that the non-discrimination clause conflicts with their mission to provide a Catholic education. And so, in essence, what they are arguing is that enrolling preschoolers who have gay parents is against their religious beliefs. So, you know, I want to go back I want to go back for just a second to uh something we were talking about just before we went into our top of our break uh in the last segment. And that is that with the change in some of the attitudes like towards blessing uh LGBTQ unions uh, not necessarily doing them as, as, or giving sacrament of marriage in the religious sense uh, to the gay couples, same gender couples. Uh, I'm wondering if the Pope might feel differently about how these things be handled in education, because I think it's even more damaging to young people who would be going into school to be told that that they, being a byproduct of or part of a family, uh, is not sanctioned by the schools that the church is running there. And I wonder if maybe the archdiocese in Denver is stepping out of line with where the church itself may be going in doing this. I mean— I mean, you bring up a good point, which is what would be 
amazing, it won't happen, but what would be amazing is if the Vatican put in an amicus brief yeah. that said, actually, allowing LG, you know, children, children, preschoolers, babies who have gay parents, allowing them to you know, or, or like, or like, basically allowing them to enroll in whatever preschool they want. Like, that has nothing to do with Catholic education. Anything. Like, like, you know, I would love for the for the Vatican to weigh in on that yeah. and basically cut, you know, cut that argument off at its knees. Well, the two of the uh, the parishes that run preschools, uh, St. Mary's in Littleton, Colorado, and St. Bernadette's in Lake. Lakewood, Colorado, uh, and the Archdiocese of Denver sued the state, but the judge in the case actually uh, issued an order that dismissed the Archdiocese as a plaintiff. So yeah, I mean, it could that could be a standing issue or something, you know, yeah. um, which is you know which makes sense to me because it's like the Archdiocese. You know, isn't actually doesn't have really, uh, you know, skin in the game there. I mean, the the actual parishes that run the schools do, but the archdiocese is just, you know, just riffing. Um, yeah, well, here's but, the know, deal: if you're going to do that at a very minimum, uh, and this is what gets me about the Catholic Church and many other churches that practice discrimination and do. Um, uh, act from the pulpit in trying to, you know, in <laughs> trying to influence people's decisions at the voting box, uh, they should not be entitled to tax-free status. And they also should not be entitled to get state money. And that's part of what this is all about, of course, is, um, you know, this, uh, there's this new $322 million preschool program uh, launched and uh, enrolls more than 60% of the state's four-year-olds in the program. And, you know, that's a lot of money that would go into the Catholic Church's pocket. And I think the state has every right to expect that there's not going to be any discrimination uh, on these grounds. You've got to play by the same rules as public schools. Right, except that, except this is part of the playbook. I mean, this is the school vouchers playbook. This is this is what they've been working on since Brown, Brown versus Board, is and actually before that, um, you know, but especially after Brown, is to try to carve away and and fund religious education, fund you know racially segregated education on the taxpayers' dime, you know, and what they're trying to do here is you know. Is that this universal preschool program, you know, for better or for worse, um, allows for people to choose uh, different providers, you know, secular providers, public providers, you know, faith-based providers, um, and they're, you know, and what they're doing is, you know, with guidelines. And what they're basically trying to say is, no, no guidelines. Um, give us our, give us your your public money, your taxpayer money. And let us set whatever rules we want because we're religious. It, and and the thing is, if this again, this is one of these things where this is like teeing up for the Supreme Court, and this current Supreme Court is so solicitous and so supine to you know religion 
that I can you know guarantee you that they would just fall over themselves to be able to rule that um, you know that these faith-based religious you know preschools are allowed to opt out of the generally applicable rules that that require non-discrimination. Yeah. You know what? This pisses me off so much. I'm writing a letter to the Pope. <laughs> no, really. I think, you know, they're not even paying attention to this. He needs to pay attention to this. If if you think that our relationships are worthy of having, uh, you know, counsel from the church, then I think you need to, you know, get clear about four-year-olds and the fact that uh, if they happen to have two dads or two moms— that uh, they're being unable to participate uh, in these programs and you get the benefit of them, the money delivered to you from the government that's being paid by right. all of the citizens of the state of Colorado. Right. That's BS. It's BS. I mean, because it goes beyond. I'm I mean, going to tell them if they, don't, if they don't change the church ruling, I'm going to tell them to officially remove me from the baptismal roles in the church. It's just because the thing that's outrageous too is this is not even like this is a step beyond because this isn't even about this isn't about gay kids. This no. is about kids, babies who have gay parents. Right. Like this is basically just an attempt in a, an attempt to erase the existence of gay adults, you know, in the world. This is this is like basically saying that we we want to live in a we want to create a bubble where the, the gayness doesn't even exist it's mm. not about gay kids it's about literally the parents like the the fact that there might be a kid that has two dads or two moms or non-binary parents that that is that is considered an affront enough to a preschool to not enroll a child to you know play with blocks and learn phonics i mean like that's you know, bullshit i am so damn tired of having to deal with these mountain west morons who hate gay people I, i'm it's just a lot, i'm yeah. fed up with it you know that whole state of wyoming can go and fuck itself <laughs> yeah no, I mean it, it. What it is? It is interesting because there is there is this kind of like, I mean, Colorado has had had a, had a very rocky, not you know, no pun intended, past with gays. Yep. You know, obviously, you know, back with what what was it? Uh, Proposition two or what was that one called? Yeah, it was Amendment two. Amendment two. Yeah, and then of um, course that's also where Matt Shepard died, even though he was attacked in Wyoming, but you know, he was from Colorado as well. Yeah, and, it's just weird. It's weird that that particular region, because it, it does, I mean, it's a it's an, a place of great geographical beauty. And I think also a lot of, there is that kind of ethos of like live and let live, I think, that, that exists out there, except not, apparently. Yeah. Well, you know, there's various institutions that are sadly based there that put a stain on a beautiful place. Uh, you're right, Richie. Um, you know, I... I took my LGBTQ show from Sirius to um, both Denver and Colorado Springs. And boy, talk about a difference between those two places. But mm. the community was really engaged in Colorado Springs. And they need to be because they have these shit stains like the United States Air Force Academy and focus on the family and James Dobson who were there 
base there. And so there's all, and that, of course, is where one of the tragic shootings, mass murders, happened this past year. Right. So, uh, you know, lovely place, uh, but some very uh, not so lovely people there. Yeah. And so, you know, so that's that's what's happening in Colorado. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see where that goes uh, on happier in, in a little happier sort of story. Um, Kim Davis, if, if you recall, Kim Davis, who was that uh, that that clerk um, who denied a gay couple marriage license mm-hmm. um, for for, you know, again, for religious reasons. You know, she's now gotten her ass handed to her several times by the court. And most recently, she's owes an additional an additional something like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to the couple for their legal bills. And um, she just keeps losing and losing and losing. And it's well, just so what do you fun expect? to see. She's a loser. Yeah. And it's just fun to see. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, talk about the height of hypocrisy. You know, I think what was it something that she was pregnant with uh, the the child of her third husband while she was still married to her first husband? Yeah. And just you know, Total whatever. Hypocrisy. The sanctity of marriage was not exactly high on her list. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was that was kind of like you know, again, you know, we always try to find kind of the the brighter side or the funny the funny things to bring because you know, obviously, there's been a lot of kind of intense stories, but uh, that one was just kind of like, you know, a little a little thing that popped up where I was like, oh, yeah, Kim Davis. Ha ha. You know, that's funny. Right. Now, it, she was such a shit stain to our nation when, you know, all of that was going on and uh, fighting tooth and nail, fortunately not successfully, to keep LGBT people from being able to tie the knot in Kentucky. But... Uh, yeah, I, I don't that kind of stuff does not surprise me. I mean, of course that's the home of Mitch McConnell and a number of other crazies like his other senator from there. Uh uh what's his name? Uh Ron Paul. Oof. Or, yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Rand the, the Paul. Pauls. Rand Paul. Rand Paul, yeah. yeah. A kook. I mean, kook he he is himself. as kooky as Robert Kennedy Jr. I read today, uh, I read a a tweet today from uh, Bradley Whitford, who was, of course, one of the stars of the West Wing. And apparently, uh, Martin Sheen does not tweet, uh, but he did ask his co-stars from West Wing to address an issue because apparently somebody has been putting information out there that... that, uh, Mr. Sheen was supporting Robert Kennedy Jr. Mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this year's uh, presidential bid. And he uh, actually set the record straight that, no, he is supporting Joe Biden and the Democratic Party uh, and that he was not supporting uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., the crazy <laughs> wingnut. And so uh, he wanted that message to be out there. So I guess I'm just contributing to the effort to make sure that everybody knows that Marty Sheen has not lost his mind. (laughs) That he is still the father of one of the sexiest guys ever, uh, Emilio Estevez. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, that's going to do it for this segment of the GVC Happy Hour, and we're going to continue with more of the show. And when we do, uh, we're going to be talking uh, about the fact that a judge states that uh, Ron DeSantis has repeatedly spread false information about doctors mutilating kids' privates. Uh, <laughs> we'll get into that more as we continue with the happy hour. Stay with us. I'm Johnny Mack with Richie Roy. It's not always laughter and games on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy and Johnny Mack, but when it is, you'll know when it's time to cut them off. Now, back to the beer pong. Uh, I mean show. Boys? Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Happy Hour. And uh, want to throw the number out there one more time, 760-677-0111. We've covered a lot of meaty news topics tonight would love to hear your thoughts on any of them uh or just how your new year's is going so far um but uh to kind of jump right back into it uh yeah a federal judge um who is currently kind of um dealing with uh with desantis's um there's a challenge to the transgender health care bill uh, in Florida, the federal judge um, basically called out Governor Ron DeSantis and just said, look, <laughs> you're talking about doctors mutilating children's genitals, genitals. There's no documented cases. This is not real. This is more than hyperbole. This is just fake. This is fake news. This is lies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this is the, – the trial is – you know, it's challenging Florida's – you know, Florida banned medical treatment for transgender children, you know, things like hormone therapy, puberty blockers. Um, it also, you know, puts restrictions on adult trans care. But, um, you know, really it's just it, – it's part of, you know, this, this really intense effort, especially in Florida – you know, in other places in the country to try to erase the existence of trans people. You know what I want to um, do? I want to have a post-op trans person come in and talk with us about the realities of where their mind is and what they go through before, during, and after a transition. It's the physical transition as well. Uh, I think it would be really interesting to hear the perspective of somebody and also to have them comment on it from the standpoint of what, you know, what they think when they hear this kind of nonsense out of DeSantis or anybody else who's transphobic. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think that that would be, I mean, a, a great goal, I think, you know, that we, for this year, not to go into you know, New Year's resolutions, but um, is I know that, that both Johnny and I would really love to have uh, more guests um, you know, on the show and, and to really broaden, you know, the, the focus, I, we'd love to get folks from the ACLU in here. Mm -hmm. Um, I know we've, you know, folks who, uh, work on, for instance, um, uh, you know, trans, trans rights who are law you know, lawyers in, in, you know, in transgender rights, uh, cases. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's one of the, one of the big things that we're going to kind of go for this year is to try to get some more voices on the show, because as much as I love, 
hearing my own voice and hearing the voice of my intrepid uh, co-host, Johnny Mac, it's always fun when we have other people on the show. So yeah. we're definitely, that's going to be a big, a big thing we're going to work on this year is getting more people in, in, to, you know, in the studio. Well, back into this story, the judge who is uh, Robert Hinkle questioned the governor's motivations and uh, he's going to rule on whether that law deliberately targets transgender individuals seems pretty clear to me that it does. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Uh, the trial is part of a larger trend across the country with 22 states that have enacted laws that restrict or ban gender-affirming care for transgender minors. And while the law in Arkansas was struck down by a federal judge, Enforcement of similar bans is currently blocked in two states and allowed in seven others. Lawyers who are representing trans adults and uh, families argue that Governor DeSantis and the legislature in Florida have consistently targeted transgender individuals through various laws and restrictions, and the outcome of this trial is going to have implications for transgender health care and the rights of the transgender community in Florida overall so we need to be paying attention to this and in in your local communities wherever you might be across america if you're in the united states well this goes back this goes back to um something that is i think a fundamental reality right now on the right which is denial of science denial of experts because the thing is there is no you know they what they do is they create they 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 find some you know some hokey fakey doctor you know some osteopath you know from Akron uh you know who runs his own you know American society for you know uh for youth and purity or whatever who you know has nothing has no credentials no published anything and basically just says, you know, oh, this is radical experimentation on youth. The vast majority, the overwhelming 99% of people, you know, of psychiatric and, and, and medical professionals, you know, are in agreement that gender affirming care is important and works and is necessary. But because they don't want to hear that, the people on the right ignore it. I And I, and just basically are just, you know, living in a, fact-free science-free world where what the and, and the thing is you even have people who are ostensibly uh you know not stupid uh like someone like an andrew sullivan who you know who talks about you know like the trouble the, the the troubling experimentation on children it's like give me a break no it's not experimentation it's actually well documented at this point that you know gender affirming care works and is important and and has a beneficial outcome for children who who need it well andrew um, sullivan is in fact at the very top of my list of hypocrites in our community and always has been you know it's a do as i say not as i do and you know, a lot of these weirdos that, you know, you're talking about who have these attitudes and such or take these actions and do not look at science and so on are living life from the book of the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Stay with us. We're going to continue. And when we do, it's time to talk about 
demerits and recommendations to you. That's coming yes. up next on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. Thanks for being here. Six, pardon me, seven six zero six seven seven zero one 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 is our telephone number. Again, if you want to join the conversation, seven six zero six seven seven zero one one one. We'd love to hear from you. The GBC Radio Network presents the weekly public service. The GBC Happy Hour Seal of Approval. Does it fly or does it die? Products, services, and customer service that will turn you on or turn you off. Does the cup runneth over or has the well gone dry? Richie and Johnny, take it away. Welcome, welcome. And we are heading into two of my favorite segments of the happy hour, the recommendations and demerits and the mixology corner. Um, so glad that you are with us on the on this ride, uh, the first episode of 2024. Um, many exciting episodes to come. But uh, let's go with recommendations. Um, I will. Here's my recommendation, I think, starting the year off. Um you know, sometimes, you know, we start off the year uh, maybe, you know, thinking we're going to do some journaling, make some to-do lists, you know, just generally kind of, uh, you know, start things off, um, you know, on that kind of a vibe. And I have fallen back in love with fountain pens uh, for – I used to be a big fountain pen fanatic um you know listen to fountain pen podcasts had my little collection had my you know bottles of ink and then i kind of fell off of the fountain pens and actually kind of went crazy for wood case pencils which i could always i can talk about at length i love wood case pencils but i have um recently fallen back in love with fountain pens and i think um you know for people who enjoy writing um they really not only are they fun to write with, they make your handwriting better, uh, especially if you if you're trying to write in cursive. Um, I think cursive writing is much easier with fountain pens than it is with other types of pens. So I'm going to recommend uh, a, a certain a combo. It's a, it's a pretty uh, foolproof combo, which is the Lamy Safari. Lamy L A M Y Safari is a very simple, very inexpensive plastic uh, bodied fountain pen. And it comes with a cartridge. You can either use it with cartridges or with a converter and fill it with your own ink. But it's a it's an inexpensive, high quality German fountain pen. Get that. Get one of those, and then get a Rhodia pad. R H O D I A. Rhodia is a French paper manufacturer. Uh, they make pads of various sizes. Um, you know, from you know, like legal size pads all the way to tiny little pads. Spell that for and, me again, Richie. Uh, R-H-O-D-I-A, Rhodia. And uh, Rhodia makes some of the best paper out there. Rhodia and Clairefontaine, to my to my uh, mind, are the two best writing paper brands. Um, and actually both are, I think, 
made by Exa Claire or Exa Compta, which, you know, but, but they're both French. They're both amazing papers, but Rhodia pads are great. So get a Rhodia pad, get a Lamy Safari and just go to town. Just start writing, start journaling, make to-do lists, write a letter to a friend, um, and you'll have fun. And, uh, you know, I just think it's, it's a nice way to start the year off, um, to kind of, get back into um, some of the more analog tools because, um, you know, I, I, I've so much of our lives are in our phones now. Um, you know, realistically, most of what I do is on my phone, but uh, it's nice to just break out, you know, a nice pen and a nice piece of paper and just write something down. When was the last time you sent a letter to somebody through snail mail? A letter through snail mail? My yeah. God. When did you last hand write a letter? God, it's probably been year. It's been years. It's been honestly, it's been years. And I and it makes me feel bad because I actually I have friends who send me postcards, and I love getting them. Yeah. I love getting a postcard or a letter. Um, but I have not done it in years. Then you know that's we have a, a re- friend who last me- year, uh, Angel, who sent us both uh, letters. It was just a little. Uh, project of his to actually hand write a letter to some people and we uh, ourselves and a couple of our other friends I think got got these letters and it was just it was kind of funny because I remember him making a big deal about being able to do uh, to write in cursive and things like that which they basically don't teach kids anymore which blows my mind yeah no that's not that hasn't been taught in many years but um, yeah no it's true I haven't uh, you called me out, but you're you're right. You're I'm right not to calling call me you out. I just was I, wondering when because I can't think of no, the last time that I did but it's either. True, it's true. And the thing is, I like I literally I still go to the post office and buy cool stamps. Yeah, I buy cool stamps. I have my fountain pen. I have my paper. There's no real reason that I'm not sending letters. I mean. You know, in 2024, it's all you know. Whatever, I'm I'm off of Instagram. I'm I'm gonna start writing. I'm gonna start writing letters. Okay, yeah. I'm coming clean now. I I just was trying to figure out if you're ever gonna send me a love letter. <laughs> well, you know that's uh, that's forthcoming. Maybe if you send me some more grapefruits. Okay, I think <laughs> I think I can handle for, that. For those of you who don't know. Um, uh, Johnny Mac has a grapefruit tree in his backyard that that uh, renders these beautiful, huge ruby red grapefruit. And, um, and he sent me some in the mail and I have been rationing them like crazy. Cause I, I, um, I just adore, I, I love nothing better than a fresh grapefruit. Yeah, I think so. my parents just got a box of them today. Nice. From us. So what do we have this week? Do we have a recommendation? Do we have a demerit? What do we have? Well, it's really a demerit, and it was brought about by an op-ed piece that I read that happened to be very well-timed because I had just—it's been a while since I've actually gone to the theater to see a movie, Mm -hmm. and I had just gone with uh, friends of ours um, to see a film in Tucson. Uh, Actually, it was the new Wonka and then right after that, um, when I got home uh, to the uh, Palm Springs area, after coming back from Arizona, we went and saw uh, another film, which is The Boys in the Boat. And this writer 
who is a op-ed writer for the Washington Post uh, in uh, who is based in New York. Uh, he really laid the hammer down on AMC and the other movie theater chains. Uh, his name is Richard Zoglin, and uh, what he was on their case about is. You know, the price of movies today is not cheap. I, I was blown away to read that people are paying 25 bucks to go in and see a movie in New York City. Um, it's still here. It's only like 13 or $14. But, and that's a lot of money, too, especially when you go in and you are fed more and more and more advertisements in advance of them. I know some of the theaters like to have, you know, some of that programming that, you know, talks about various things in arts and entertainment going on, you know, uh, and put a few ads for like Coke or Pepsi or 7-Up or, you know, some candy or, you know, or a new car uh, in the lineup of all that content. And then they show the previews and then the movie starts. But it's now, it's like from the time that the film is supposed to start, the, sh the showtime, which is when they end most of that preliminary programming in most theaters. And this is not just uh, AMC. It's Regal and, uh, you know, several other uh, Lowe's. And, and uh, you know, I have a favorite uh, local theater here that they own four theaters in Southern California. Um, but they all do it. it there's not an independent film uh, screening place that does any less of it. And it's gotten to be like from the time that the movie is supposed to start, like at least 20, not less than 20, but usually 30 to 35 minutes of advertising that you are subjected to. And I, I'm like, okay, if you're going to subject me to all of that, fine. I want the film for free. You know, if I'm going to have to consume it like that, it's no different than watching something on a regular broadcast television station. But no, when they're taking $14 from you, I shouldn't have to sit through all that advertising. Maybe two or three previews, fine. One, one hit with the, are you sure you don't want popcorn and a soda? Fine. That's it. I mean... Just when the movie's supposed to start, let it start. But instead now you have to kind of calculate based on where you're going, uh, as I did recently with a, uh, I think it was a Regal Cinema that uh, we went to. And that, you know, we had to basically plan, okay, well, let's not even show up until 20, 25 minutes into the movie. <laughs> and still there were previews going on. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't go see a ton of movies, but when I do, I tend to go to, there's a, there's a theater in Rhinebeck called Upstate Films, which is an independent cinema or film forum in the city. And thankfully, blissfully, they do not do that because, really? uh, when I, they're, they're, you know, they're, they, they play sort of art house type of cinema. Um, but yeah, I do remember, um, you know, it's, I literally never go to the, you know, AMCs or any of that, but a couple of years ago I went to see, a movie. I think it was Thor Ragnarok. That'll show you how long ago it was. But um, I was a, I was shocked by how much uh, junk there was at the beginning of the uh, before the movie ever even screened. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, you're right. And here's the thing. I think that moviegoers, people, because, you know, uh, you've got people like Martin Scorsese, and that's the film that uh, the person who wrote the op-ed piece in the Washington Post uh, was talking about, because even before that started, there was an interview between, uh, well, with um, uh, the other star in that, uh, the guy who was in... Titanic, uh, Leo DiCaprio interviews Martin Scorsese. And then after that, Scorsese comes back with another piece where he's having a monologue with the audience before the film starts and talking about why he did it and all this. It's like, shut the F up and just get on with the show. That's what I'm here to see. And so I think that people who still are moviegoers and you have people like Scorsese who are saying you must see these films in a theater on a big screen not on your home tv watching it on netflix or whatever um well if that's the experience you want people to have then cut this other bs out you know yeah i mean it's it's yeah it and the thing is it is um Uh, if i were the marketing director if i were the marketing director for a theater I would do something like a five-minute ad guarantee. Like, we will not play more than five minutes of previews and ads uh, before your film. And and that would be one loyal way to get people's butts back in theater seats, I think. And so I'm going to write to theater owners that I like to go to right now here in Palm Springs. We're just coming up on the start tomorrow of this year's uh, annual International Palm Springs International Film Festival, which is a huge film event will bring tons of stars from and directors from Hollywood here for the next two weeks. So, you know, they need to hear it. You know, we're fed up. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think part of it is just the economics of, of film are so scrambled these days. Um, you know, the streaming and, and sort of simultaneous streaming slash kind of like very short theatrical windows, they're just trying to cash grab because, you know, they have such a limited moment to try to get anyone to get into these theaters and see anything. Um, because, so, you know, really at the end of the day, a lot of people, whether for economic reasons or just for comfort and convenience are like, I've got an 80 inch, you know, OLED, beautiful TV in my living room. I'm comfy. Uh, I can make my own popcorn. I have a you know a sound bar and you know a subwoofer. It's a great experience. It's a great actual experience of watching things at home now. It's not you know and yes, it's not the um, and, and it's not the same, but it's it's pretty darn good. And one of the other uh, complaints that the writer had that I would agree with is that the length of movies is getting to be way too long. And um, with these films that are coming out now, two and a half, three, three and a half hours in length, uh, you know, it is more convenient for people to watch these at home so they can pause it and go get something to drink or, you know, take a piss or whatever, you know, without having to miss something. Because where in the movie theater do you get to get up and go? I mean, it's not like we have intermissions and i don't think but people would go like if we did like, but i feel like that's a little bit like the tail wagging the dog kind of thing i think the movies are getting longer in part because these theatrical release movies are trying to justify the prices that the tickets are so it's like 
it's like, oh, it's a movie worth seeing in the theater. It's going to be three hours long, and it's going to cost $25. And like, I can tell you that almost every film I've seen that's longer than 90 minutes um, should have been cut by 20 to 30 <laughs> or 40 or even an hour and a half if it was like The Last Emperor. Stay with <laughs> us. We're going to continue with more. We've got Richie coming up in his barmaid best to uh, do the Mixology 101 segment to wrap up this week's show. So stay with us here on the GBC Happy Hour with Richie Roy. I'm Johnny Mack. Thank you. Mixologist Richie Roy and his ice cube handler Johnny Mac present the latest lessons from the Gay BC Happy Hour School of Mixology. As they say at Gay BC, bottoms up. Hello, and welcome back to the Happy Hour for our final segment of the first episode of 2024. And we are in the Mixology Corner, and um, I have to say, I am not ready to let go of the christmas tree yet so um really i didn't yeah i thought you didn't have one this year i didn't but i like the idea of it so so where so the the drink this week i read and i read this uh i read about this and i i looked into a couple other recipes for it and i'm pretty i'm pretty excited about this is it made with christmas trees it is the reason I ask is because uh, it took my significant other telling me that, oh, yeah, they eat anything, everything, uh, that apparently land sharks uh, are actually goats. And I saw these people tossing this Christmas tree over a fence to a group of like seven or eight goats. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden they just started munching the whole thing and eating it up. So, oh, goats will eat everything. Yeah, yeah goats so, eat anything. So I thought, oh, maybe maybe Christmas trees make good holiday drinks. Well, the answer is they kind of do. Hmm. So what you do is you make an evergreen simple syrup. What you do uh-huh. is you take uh, a handful of pine needles. Uh, you know, good good couple handfuls of pine needles. You throw them in with. Uh, you know, equal amount sugar and water and you, you know, you cook them in there for 15 minutes or so, you strain it and what you end up with is pine, basically piney simple syrup, you know, a sweet you know. Is uh, that sweet created wood. from the sap of the pine tree? It's just, it's it's actually just from the needles, just the, the needles themselves yeah. um, you know, leaching out the those, you know, sort of essential oils that they have in there. Interesting. And, um, you know, one of the, one of the drinks that it suggested, which kind of made sense to me was a, an evergreen old fashioned, because again, old fashions, you know, you, you, you use either a sugar cube or here a simple syrup. So, you know, what you it reminds whisk, me of yeah. 
What? It reminds me, maybe this is a beverage, actually, that you should name the Yule Gibbons. Do you remember <laughs> him? He was the spokesperson Yule, yeah. for many years for Grape Nuts breakfast cereal. And he'd yeah. always come on TV and he'd go, ever eat a pine tree? Many parts are edible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, it's funny. That is funny. Yeah. Yule Gibbons. I, I'm going to go with that. Yeah. This is the Yule Gibbons. Um, and, uh, yeah, but it is, that is, uh, that's the, that's the experiment for the week is, is it an evergreen simple syrup old fashioned. Wow. Um, and then for the non-alcoholic to, again, to kind of stick with the holiday vibe, there's a drink, um, that's, that's popular in like Jamaica and sort of Island countries, which is sorrel drink. Which is essentially a hibiscus, a very sweet and strong hibiscus tea mm. um, that that you that you know that is sweetened, and then what you do is you have it with some rum, um, you know, if you're if you're really you know if you're going to go for it. But sorrel, the sorrel drink without that rum is still delicious. And so again, you just kind of you boil hibiscus flowers with sugar and water and you boil it down until it's this like bright lurid purple liquid sweet do you get a good taste from it too if you don't put uh, the sugar or syrup in it because i love hibiscus uh teas but i don't like anything with any sort of um, sweetener in it so so i love one of my favorite drinks full stop is actually hibiscus iced tea yeah i make it all the time I make it all the time. It's super tart, super quen- thirst quenching. It's delicious. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, I, I, I highly recommend making just a hibiscus tea. I, I make it, you know, I, I boil hibiscus leaves in water um, and, you know, let it steep for 10 minutes and then pull the leaves out and then throw it in the fridge and let it cool off. And then that's, you know, delicious iced hibiscus tea is amazing. Yeah. But... For the holiday vibe, I was going with more of the sweet sorrel tea just, you know, because that is kind of that is something that has the that is traditionally had around kind of the holidays. And so I'm not letting go of the holidays yet. You know, even though we're in 2024, I thought I would kind of just uh, keep those those flavors alive a little bit longer. Okay, nice. Well, now I'm going to have to call my friends back in Seattle and ask them to go trim a couple of, of uh, you know, re- or a couple of the uh, pieces of, off the limbs of uh, evergreen trees up there and send me some needles so I can try that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because the thing is, actually, if you think about it, what you could do that could be fun, too, is... Um, you know, because you make an evergreen simple syrup. So it's basically just a sugar water that has that piney flavor. I mean, that could be really fun in like an iced tea. Yeah. Uh, it could be fun in, uh, what else could that be fun in? It could be, yeah, fun in iced tea. It could be fun with seltzer water, just sort of a piney seltzer could yeah. be good. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of different, a lot of different ways you could go with it, you know, apart from the alcoholic versions. By the way, um, going back to our previous segment and kind of blending it with this conversation, uh, I know you and I have talked in the past about this, but uh, we one thing that we both own, and I just got a brand new one, actually, right before Christmas. Uh, I bought a new uh, SodaStream, 
mm-hmm. and um, they have a few more choices now in colors and and things like that. And and I actually like the one that I have now, where it has uh, more of a handle rather than a, uh, a like button. a button that you push down or whatever. Um, and it allows you to kind of get it right, you know. Mm-hmm. Some people want a little more fizz than others, um, but. Uh, I love it, and I highly recommend other people to get it too. It's it makes a real world of difference, and you know I get tired of drinking flat water after a while, so it's nice to do that. And they have a lot of great flavor uh, syrups and things like that that go with it. Uh, you know that are not many that are sugar free, some that are not. Yeah, I mean I totally agree. I mean the the. Homemade fizzy waters are great because you can choose the level of fizz that you want on it. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I have to, you know, uh, full disclosure, I'm a brat and I actually sprung for the Arky, which is the sort of like ridiculously over overpriced soda stream that's metal (laughs) and looks cute. I mean, it's it's the same canister, it's the same ultimate technology. Right. It just looks pretty, but um, you know, I agree that uh, that being able to make your own fizzy water at home is really essential. You know, I, I I'm famously uh, averse to flat water. I don't like it. I don't believe in it. I won't drink it except when I, at the gym. I will drink it at the gym under duress. But uh, <laughs> yeah, having a uh, having a fizzy water machine is. I mean, is absolutely crucial for me. I mean, I just, I can't live without it. Yeah. Well, I am, uh, I am thrilled to uh, have the new one. And I've been thinking about bestowing my old one on my parents. Um, yes. And giving that to them. I just don't know. You know, one thing is there are a lot of people who, if they have problems, and I don't know that my folks do have this issue, but if they have uh, osteoporosis, uh, you can't be drinking the fizzy water. You know, no, oh, no okay. Pellegrino for you. <laughs> Sorry, um, because it will uh, speed up the cracking of your bones. So that's mm. an unfortunate thing, and I pray that I never have that problem. But uh, yeah, the the new one is actually kind of this aqua blue color that actually goes with the formica and my kitchen counters. So Ooh. it kind of really fits in. Yeah, they're getting so they're getting a little more fashionable because for a while the soda streams were kind of very homely. Yeah, I, I'm not going to say it's totally not homely, but it definitely looks better than the black one I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, coming up next week on the show, we will of course continue to bring you uh, our points of view and perspective on current events going on in the world around us, and we will. Of course, keep an eye on the events that are taking place around the world that affect LGBTQ people and keep you aware of those and make suggestions to you uh, as to how to, you know, in this election year, this very, very important election year, how to be involved in your local communities. You can help out in so many ways with things that matter to you that do not require you to have to spend your money. Um, You can actually volunteer with a cause or with a... Uh, you know, with a referendum or with a candidate that you believe in, uh, you can also go doorbelling and things like that because I think the biggest thing that's working against us, as Richie pointed out earlier, is some of the people uh, 
in the parties who just don't have a clue on what they're doing to be able to make a connection one-on-one with people and help them understand how vital it is that your voice, whatever side you're on, be heard in 2024. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think we'll 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 beat that drum over the next year and we will um, try to bring some folks on the show who uh, can give us some more context and color on that, too. And um, I'm looking forward to another great year with you, Johnny Mac. Likewise. Thank you so much, Richie Roy. And we will continue to bring you great content right here. Um, just another note again, because our website is down. There are several podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify and Stitcher and TuneIn, that you can get our on-demand shows from. And go to GBC or gbchappyhour.com to connect to our live stream on Thursday nights. Have a great week.